my name is Sierra Strong and welcome back to the Greenhouse Series. Today we are in the rainforest, a place with all kinds of variety in plants and colors and behaviors. Today we're going to look at two plants. The first one is the Stromanth Triostar. This plant has not only got beautiful pink and green foliage, but it also has this thing called Gnostic movements. Very strange, but what happens is when it needs more light, the leaves will bend down. But when it's gotten all the light it needs, they will bend up like hands in prayer. That's why it's nicknamed the prayer plant. The second flower is called the corpse flower. It is a ginormous plant that blooms only once a year. And when it blooms, you might want to stop and smell it because of its beautiful purple and yellow colors. But trust me, you don't want to. Because even though it looks beautiful, it smells terrible. It smells like death and rotting flesh, which is why it has been nicknamed the corpse flower. Much like the corpse flower, which has a beautiful outward appearance and not such a beautiful inward appearance, people can have that too. And, and I don't know about you, but like that corpse flower, a lot of us look really, really good on the outside. You're like, man, I want to get to know them. And you get a little bit closer, you're like, man, these people stink. <laughs> I mean, they got idiosyncrasies. They got bad habits. They're kind of annoying. I mean, I tell you this about me. I look really good from a distance. And, and I look like I got my act together from a distance. But man, there's something about that, even that corpse flower reminds us about the imminent front we're all putting on. Some of us, work, we're working so hard on that public version of ourselves, we don't spend as much time on the private version of ourselves. That's what we're we'll looking at today. And I think we've all been turned off by the hypocrisy of people who present one way and yet are truly another way. We were turned off by it, we saw it in our parents. We're turned off by it, and we saw it in a pastor. We're turned off by the hypocrisy, we saw it in a priest. But the, the place that most turns me off is in the mirror, right? I just see so much hypocrisy in myself, the things I want to be true but aren't true, the things I say I want to be important, but then I find myself struggling with things or doing things that I said I wouldn't do. There's this longing in all of us to have a synchronization between the outer person and the inward person within us. That's what we're going to talk about today in Greenhouse. Last week, we discovered that in Israel, you get a chance to spend some time in the desert. So I want to go back to the desert, but this time for something different. When my wife and I were uh, traveling in Israel, we got a chance to hike through incredible wadis and deserts in Israel. This is what one of them looks like. Imagine you've been traveling for weeks, maybe months, and all of a sudden you begin to notice some greenery for the first time you notice an actual stream of water flowing through the middle of it. And you think to yourself, oh my goodness, there might be some refreshment ahead. And again, you are dusty, you are dirty, and you come across a stream. You heard it just a few minutes ago, the bubbling brook. When's the last time you've seen or heard a bubbling brook? You're just on the south side of the Dead Sea, and here you find yourself at a place called En Gedi. You hear a waterfall to your left and another coming from up above you. You just can't believe that this type of beauty, this type of wonder can exist in the desert. And then you find out this isn't water like the Dead Sea water coming from those waterfalls. No, that's chemical, salt-based. You scoop up a little bit of it and you taste it. It's fresh water flowing from a natural spring in the middle of En Gedi, right in the middle the desert. You're taken in by the beauty of it. There's something about being around greenery, being around a waterfall that just 
refreshes you from the inside out. Oh, you got dirt all over your hands and feet from the desert, so you're actually going to jump in that thing. It's like, I haven't had a shower in weeks traveling around this desert, and you just let the water wash over you, and you feel clean. But not just on the outside, but just your body temperature has gone down, you plunge into the water, and you just look up, and you're just taking in all of the sights and all of the sounds and all of the experiences And then you notice it's not just that you're tired and it's not just that you're thirsty. You think, you know what, is there anything to eat around here? You notice that the animals, the ibex, these deer, half deer, half mountain goats have made their way into En Gedi and they too are drinking from the water. They too are are making their way up these incredibly difficult terrains. You think, I wonder what they eat. And then you see in front of you their aurora plants. You've never seen one before, and I don't know what those fruit are, but I can't wait to take a taste of it. It's like a cantaloupe mixed with a pear, mixed with maybe a peach. I don't know. But you can't wait to sink your teeth into it. It's exactly how I felt. My wife and I were traveling in uh, Israel about 10 years ago now. And don't we look good? Man, we look good. (laughs) We look like, well, I look as good as I get. She looks good. We're hiking together. We look like we got our life together and our marriage together. We look pretty good as an adventuring couple. But if you saw what was going on the inside, we're going through incredible turmoil internally. We just found out that Quinn has autism. We'd already found out he had blindness. Our whole life is in a tailspin trying to figure out how to cope with, survive, let alone thrive in this new environment we found ourselves in. So this picture that probably went up on Facebook and looked like, wow, look how wonderful their life is. If you look just past the imminent front, you would smell, man, things are in turmoil. I, before I went and got counseling for, for, uh, for hypervigilance and, and, and both of us struggling with depression, trying to figure out how to, to manage with no sleep for years at a time, we look good on the outside, but I'll never forget after literal days of hiking through the desert, right along the Dead Sea, around Masada, we came to En Gedi, that place I just showed you, and I saw that waterfall. And I'm telling you, I jumped into that water. And I laid there, or leaned there, for maybe five minutes. In fact, every time I see this picture, it's such a deeply spiritual picture for me, because I just said, God, wash away all of the challenges, and all of the struggles, and all of the difficulties and all of the uncertainties, and I just felt this is a defining moment for me. Nothing changed after that moment, but I just felt like, God, I want you to do something in me, even in this desert, even in this moment. I want access to a greater strength, a greater refreshment, and I just said the water literally washed over me. I could just feel it. So I want to take you to En Gedi because I think we live in a world today that well, it's all about polishing the outside. In fact, our world is obsessed with polishing the outside, and God wants to develop your inner core. And I think often we, we think, yeah, it'd be nice to develop the inner core, but how I come across and how I perceive is important. It is important. It becomes so important that I'm always obsessed with my appearance, my public image, how I come across, and not so much about what's on the inside. And when the inside doesn't match with the outside, I can admit to it. Well, not if it's all about the outside. You've got to pretend you never make mistakes. But if, you're, if you love 
aligning your insides to outside. You say, hey, my insides are out of alignment. I'm going to admit it. I'm going to apologize for it. I'm going to say, listen, I'd rather have developed my inner core and, and get my inner core in line with the outside. That's what God wants from all of us. And so I want to talk about two ways of living today we can learn from the aurora plant, that one we found in Engedi. There's an outside-in approach to living, and then there's an inside-out type of living. And let me look at that aurora plant again for you. Let me show you what that looks like. Again, you've been wandering through the desert. You come across this thing, and you're looking up, and you see the fruit. You know, it's just the sun glazing past it, and you're like, I haven't eaten in days. I've never tasted that before. I don't know what that's going to taste like or look like, but you can, just, you can almost feel yourself salivating, saying, I can't wait to put some citrus, some lime. Maybe it tastes like lime. Maybe you're guessing cantaloupe. I don't know what. What do you think that tastes like? But it is beautiful there, glistening in the sun. And God has a lesson to teach us from that plant that applies as equal today as it did 2,000 years ago. Or even 2,500 years ago when he spoke about it. It's the temptation all of us have to live outside in. Outside in living looks really, really good from a distance, but it quickly fades away. It's not sustainable. It doesn't give you access to the resources you need for life. In fact, here's what God says in Jeremiah. He uses a very unusual word. The word he uses here is cursed. But it's not just cursed. It's actually the word aurora. Aurora is the man who trusts in other human beings or makes his own resources his strength. His heart ends up departing from the Lord because he is like a shrubbery, a shrub, in the desert. So the shrub in the desert he's referring to is specifically the one he plays on words here when he says Aurora. Aurora is the man who thinks you can find your, your public self without aligning it to your inner self. It's just like the Aurora. And you're like, just like the Aurora? What are you talking about? Let me show you that Aurora plant again. Because you're thinking to yourself, man, I can't wait to sink my teeth into it. And I got to hold one of these. And you go up and you go to grab that thing and it pops like a balloon. It's totally hollow inside. There's nothing to eat. There's no fruit. There's no citrus. In fact, as you dig down into the inside of this hollow plant, it looks like cobwebs inside. And you're like, man, I think I lost my taste. Wasn't really looking forward to some cobwebs. But what looks so good on the outside has little substance on the inside. In fact, the Bedouin who live in Israel say that if you touch that inner webbing, there's an oil on it, and that oil, if you touch your eyes, can cause you to go blind. You'll see how God alludes to that in this passage from Jeremiah as well. So again, he's getting at this idea that when you live solely as an aurora plant, it's all about the outside, it's not the inside. He gives you three things to that. Number one, when you're living solely for approval, there's nothing wrong with wanting people's approval. I like people's approval. I like people happy. I like people to get along. But when you're living solely for approval of others and how you come across to others, it's aurora. It's empty. Because I promise you, you are not going to make everybody happy most of the time. And if how you define yourself and how you see yourself is based on what other people say about you, man, you're going to work really hard on the outside, but it's going to be hollow on the inside. That's what he says here, right? Aurora are those... You're going to be like that shrub. You look really good until somebody tries it. 
actually see if there's something inside. I was talking to a business buddy of mine, and he said, yeah, that's how my family grew up, because my family, we had lots of problems, but instead of admitting our problems, being open about your problems, joking even about your problems, you know, kind of making fun of each other's, making fun of each other's idiosyncrasies, the most important thing our family is don't let anyone know that we as a family have any trouble at all. He goes, it was exhausting keeping up that image as a kid. He said, I likened it to our family was like a beautiful lake, a placid surface with no waves. Underneath were plenty of crocodiles and plenty of, of whales and plenty of all kinds of, of deadly beasts. But the most important thing was make sure everybody knows that we look good all the time. Because one family was going through a divorce and their kids were trying to process the fact that mom and dad were, were, were you know, getting angry and angry at each other and were moving, were, were moving apart. But they didn't want the community to know. They didn't want the community to know that our marriage might be falling apart. So every day the husband would get up and drive his car at 6 in the morning to their house so he could pretend he was living there, to pretend he could walk the kids, or he actually did walk the kids out to the bus stop because everybody in the neighborhood needs to think we're together. He told the kids, you don't tell anybody we're having problems. You don't tell anybody there's problems. You don't let anybody know. All that pressure. Can't process your grief. Can't process your questions. Can't process your dearth. It's all about making sure you're living solely for other people. That's kind of what he hints at here with his two little pieces. He goes, you're, you're actually living solely for the recognition of others. And, and your inner value, your inner self can't be defined by other people. Other people can't give you the substance you need. And living solely for the recognition of others, it's a rara, it's emptiness, it's hollow. He said, no, notice he said two things. He said, you are trusting in other human beings to give you your value. Now, I don't think you grow out of this. You probably have a different flavor than me, right? My flavor might be on stage making people laugh or making people clap. Yours might be hitting quarterly results and being acknowledged for what you do. All this great stuff. But it's hollow if it's who you are. It's the only thing that you are. Your flesh is your strength. You're only as strong or as valuable as what you bring to the table, he's saying. It's all about your outward appearance. You're like that shrub in the desert. And I think that's why, you know, at some point in your life you can kind of fake it, you can work hard, but at some point you realize that if I'm living solely for my own appearance, at some point I can't make it up. You know, I'm getting older, I can't make up the fact that my hair is living. I can only put so much makeup on, now people can see I have wrinkles. Now keep your distance so you don't see exactly how my appearance, my value, I am so much more than how I've always perceived myself. I'm at a stage in my life, I look in the mirror, I don't look like what I think I look like. Do you ever get to that stage? When people ask me my driver's license, what color is your hair? You know what my answer still is? Blonde. Blonde. I still say blonde. Right? Because the version I look like is not who I see myself as. And it's great to be beautiful. But you are so much more than your beauty. And if you build your identity solely on your appearance, you'll eventually grow out of that. You'll eventually find someone more beautiful than you. You'll eventually age out of it. What's he saying in that passage? You will be like that shrub in the desert. You look good on the outside but not the inside. In fact, the Bedouin have found that the one thing that they can do with the aurora is eventually when it goes to seed, those poisonous juices disappear, and it turns into like a cotton fiber. So the one thing you can do with the aurora plant is you can weave together those cotton fibers and make them into clothes to dress yourself up. 
outside in living. This thing grows in En Gedi, right on the south side of the desert near the Dead Sea. What's amazing, it is right next to a place called Masada. If you've never been to Masada, it is a classic example of a guy who lived outside in living. And his outside in living approach came face to face with Jesus 2,000 years ago. Let me take you to Masada if you've never been there before because it is amazing. Masada, just on the south side of Israel, the Dead Sea, is this massive fortress built by a man named King Herod. That is his fortress with 11 swimming pools, a view of the Dead Sea, eventually will be conquered by the Romans hundreds of years after King Herod. But this fortress was designed to make sure anyone who came upon it would know some things about Herod. He was powerful. He was mighty. He was the richest and most powerful man of his time. We're at about 6 BC in the timeline here, and he wants everyone to know that he is in charge. He wants everyone to know that he is the greatest architect that has ever lived. I hiked up this path to make my way up to Masada. It took me two hours. Herod would sprint there. And the finishing touches are amazing. 6 BC, swimming pools, working showers. This is a fully functioning sauna where they boiled fresh water in the desert. That's the subfloor. They would boil the water, 6 BC. It would come up through the subfloor. If you look to the left and right, you will see these, these sections where the water can come up, the steam could come up. He'd create his own steam bath. That water was stored in these gigantic reservoirs that he built into solid rock. 14, swimming, 14 uh, school buses could fit into this section that he dug, and he had 10 or 11 of them dug on the top of Masada. Everything about Masada was designed to show Herod's outside beauty. This particular texture is called the Herod finish. The mosaics he put into his bathrooms, the mosaics he put into everything. He wanted everyone to know that he was beautiful, he was powerful, and the greatest architect that ever lived. And again, there's nothing wrong with beauty or aesthetics for the outside. But see, the problem was Herod was empty inside. He was so afraid that no one would mourn him the day he died. He commanded that the day he died, they killed off the entire royal household so at least somebody would be crying on the day of his death. His family hated him. He had no close relationships, and he ultimately will die alone in this place. You can see the siege ramp going up to the middle section there. Years later, the Romans will eventually take the Jews, the Maccabees, that were hiding up there and take them down with these instruments of war that they will push up that siege to the top of Masada. Oh, it was a powerful place. In fact, he built to the very front of it was his personal headquarters. This is what it looks like today. And this was his view of the most incredible ocean view of the Dead Sea in his own private headquarters. And yet he will die in those private headquarters alone with no community, with no family, but with an awful lot of beautiful homes and fortresses around Israel. If you walked into his throne room. It was designed with two columns and a gigantic seat in the middle designed to elevate him to make him look powerful so whoever walked in would feel very, very small. It was designed, everything about that was to show who was in charge and who wasn't when you came to Masada. And yet most of us have never heard of Herod, despite being the richest, most powerful man probably in human history, one of the greatest architects of all time, but most of us only know him as a footnote in the Christmas story, Jesus was born in the days 
of Herod. How is it that this obscure Jewish rabbi who spoke about a different way of living inside out could outshadow a man with that kind of power and that kind of wealth and that kind of might? Shocking. Because Jesus offered a different way to live. Not outside in, but inside out. And that inside out living could be a way in which you could harness who you are and access to other resources, that you could flourish in the desert and whose impact far outweighed that of Herod or even the Roman Empire was Jesus Christ, a Jewish rabbi who taught things like you're seeing in the book of Jeremiah, inside out living. Remember I told you that if you touch the oil, you could go blind? That's exactly what God alludes to here through Jeremiah. He says, Aurora can't see certain things. Uh, when you're in Aurora plant, you can't see that, uh, that hardship, difficulty, and desert is a way to develop good in your life. You just can't see it. It's almost impossible. Here's how he says it in Jeremiah. He will be like a shrub in the desert. What's that shrub do? The shrub shall not see when good comes. The shrub has blinded itself to goodness. It can't see the desert is a way to grow itself. It can't see that maybe this humiliation I experienced publicly is a way to maybe deal with some things that I've been hiding in my life. The shrub in the desert cannot see when good comes, but shall inhabit the parched places, the uninhabitable places. You can never grow if you're always about how you come across and not who you really are. If you say, I want to be who I really am and and sync that up, then you can see, man, I'm not in line right here, but I want to look at that. I'm now not living in a parched place, but in a fruitful place. I can grow more because I am concerned about my public image, but I'm even more concerned about who I really am that displays itself authentically as my public image. I don't want to be blind when I inhabit the parched land in the wilderness. When you begin to understand that God can use deserts in your life or challenges in your life, you begin to see that even this hardship can grow me build resilience in me, strength in me, character qualities in me I don't currently have. I wouldn't wish these circumstances on anyone, including myself, but you know what? If I'm in it, I'm going to see that God can develop good in me through this. Take the desert cactus, right? You ever seen a desert cactus before? They have these beautiful flowers on them. I'm like, I don't want to live in the desert. I don't want to be a cactus. I think of a cactus, I just think of the pricklies. But what if whatever you've been through, whatever challenge you had in business or in family, What if the things that maybe pushed your edge to people find out you're not everything you say you are? Does God want to grow something in you? Grow something beautiful that would not have come about had you not been a cactus in the desert for a little bit. See, Aurora can't see the good around them because they live in a parched land. They can't see how desert can grow them. They inhabit a place that is is barren. He goes on to say the other thing is Aurora can't see isolation as a way to grow inward. Sometimes when we're isolated, we have a tendency to just get depressed or lonely, which is understandable. But, but Aurora can't see that possibly when you're in these barren places, it's a chance to go inward, to get reflective, to get contemplative, to say, man, who am I when TV is not on? Who am I when there is not a crowd around me? Who am I when other people aren't affirming me? Can isolation be a way to grow inward in your life? Here's how he says it. He says... The parched places in the wilderness, in a salt land which is not inhabited. That doesn't mean much to us. Except that one of the practices in war is that when you want to destroy somebody else's fields, you would dump salt into it. That way it would not bring forth fruit. 
So you can not only destroy your enemy, but destroy their crops and ability to produce crops by salting the land. So what he's saying is this shrubbery, shrubbery, it's not inhabited because it's in a salt land. It's in an infertile land. When you're all about outward appearance and not your inner self, that isolation is deafening. You don't have anyone who can speak into your life or challenge you in your life because you're always about pretending. It's kind of like when you're dating. You know, dating, I was thinking of dating. When you first date, it's like PR, right? For like two years, it's PR. You pretend to be something and they pretend to be something. And eventually, if you date long enough, you find out who you're really dating. And you find out some of that stuff was true, some of that stuff was not true. And some of this stuff, they want to be true. Salting the land is, God wants to bring fruit into your life, to see the isolation in your life and, and the moments in your life to grow stuff. And a salted land, an uninhabited land, a lonely place doesn't grow. And the aurora can't see their loneliness and their isolation as a way to grow. I know for many of us, COVID has been very, very devastating. And one of the ways is just the un- inability to connect with other people. And that isolation has been deafening for our parents, for our friends, for our grandkids. So part of what we want to do as a church is say, hey, this has been hard. It's hard to connect. How do we find ways to help grow you, to equip you, to work on your inner life in the midst of just the challenges of life, let alone what's happened the last couple of years? So maybe one of the ways we could help you with that is we've got a women's group coming up. Starts this Thursday healthy leadership in life. We say, you know, I'm feeling very alone in this, this career, w- woman balance everything thing. I'm going to get together with other leaders in my life and figure out what does healthy leadership in life look like? How do I do this inner core thing? It's going to be starting on Thursdays and Sundays. It's the same one. You can come either on Thursdays or Sundays if you miss one. They're going to do dinner together or breakfast together. Let's just not be alone. Let's have some people come alongside of us in our isolation to help grow us. Let's not be that parched, salted land. Also, maybe for men, maybe you just need to laugh some more, right? Isolation is a lack of laughter. Maybe you came to our comedy night last year. If you hadn't, it was awesome. We had it out in the tent. Uh, Kenny did a 45-minute set himself, did my favorite Dave Matthews band where he plays guitar and he also plays harmonica. It was just awesome. And then Ken Kington did a 45-minute comedy set. We invited friends. This isn't a, a, like a spiritual activity. It's not a church service. This was just a fun comedy night of laughing together and having drinks together and interacting. So we invite Ken to come back this year, and he's bringing another buddy. He has another comedian uh, named Johnny W. We're going to show some clips the next couple weeks. Hilarious. So two comedians, just a chance to be together, laugh together, have some drinks together, you know, see if you can stump Kenny, request brown-eyed girls as often as possible. He loves that. <laughs> or Weird Al. He loves Weird Al, too. And then Ken is going to start a, a chance for men to get connected. So we've got a, a, a study coming up called Roadmap, an inner guide to the inner lives of women. And he's going to start that as a way to not feel isolated. How do I grow? How do I become the husband I want to be? How do I become the person I want to be? How do I become the dad I want to be? You know, last week we began in the desert, right? And we saw the difference between the aurora tree. This week, it lives in desert. And it produces something that looks beautiful, but there's just no substance to it. And contrast that from last week with the acacia tree. Something that looks beautiful and is beautiful. We found that its inner resources included comfort from the shade, hard wood you can make things out of, a salve for your wounds, a, a, a pod that could feed your animals. This looks beautiful on the outside and is beautiful on the inside. In fact, maybe you've been to the, the redwood forest in California or, or, or you've just seen pictures of the beautiful redwood forest. What's amazing about the redwood sequoias is that they have lateral root systems, which means that the root for that gigantic tall 
redwood tree only goes into the ground 3 to 12 feet. And scientists have been mesmerized by how in the world these gigantic trees don't fall over when their roots go so shallow and spread out. Well, it's because the sequoia always grow together. And so all the different root systems that grow outward connect with all the different trees and connect with all the different trees and they create this gigantic span of roots that hold the redwoods up, not because of the depth of the roots, but because the roots are rooted into the community of one another. That's what we say as a church. We're, we're here to help you explore, to connect you to the Bible through a, a, a community of growing Christ followers, a community church. Or if you're going through a time where you're saying, you know, I don't know how to do this thing right now. I've never faced this challenge before. I'm not sure what, what, what it looks like to be the kind of leader I want to be now. That you can be real here. Maybe in private with only a few people, but you can find someone else who can say, my public self and my private self aren't quite in sync and I need some help. And we want to help with that. And to do that, here's my encouragement to you. What if we saw God as a master gardener? We said, God, I want you to make me into a pomegranate that doesn't pop like that aurora tree. That aurora tree, you go to eat that thing and poof, it pops. As a guy who's done balloon, I'm a balloon artist, so if you haven't seen me do balloon animals, I do balloon animals my whole life. It's just amazing that I'm grabbing this fruit and poof, it's, just, it's like popping an animal balloon, which is shocking to me. You think, what does it take for you to pop? What does it take for you to get stressed? The thing that you probably get most hysterical about is probably the thing you built your identity on. My kids aren't obeying. Pop! Have you built your outward appearance on your kids' obedience or lack thereof? You don't want your identity put in the hands of your kids' obedience, I'll tell you that right now. But we do it all the time. What is the thing that when it pops, your world begins to fall apart? It's amazing you see an aurora and it pops when you touch it. Now contrast that with a pomegranate. You see a pomegranate tree and you're like, man, that thing looks delicious and that looks like it's got substance. You come up to that thing and what's the thing about a pomegranate? They're hard to open. You ever tried to open a pomegranate? It's like pay for them to juice it. These things are hard to open. You've got to claw that thing open. It looks beautiful on the outside. But if you put incision on that thing, you begin to crack into it. You see it's not hollow inside. It's not poisonous inside. It is fruitful inside. Have you ever tried to peel open a pomegranate? You rip that thing open, and there's just juice and resources everywhere. It looks good on the outside, and it's fruitful on the inside. And that's what I want for you, and that's what I want for us, that we will be people. Yeah, we come across well to other people. That's awesome. But we're a pomegranate that can't pop. You put the pressure on us. We don't pop. we got substance and toughness and strength beyond ourselves we got a juice and a fruitiness that can be resourceful to ourselves and our families and our companies because of all of that development in us. God was, uh, in the Bible, was writing about some promises he had about the promised land in Israel. The promised land you've walked through already. And pomegranates was one of his promises. Here's what he says. If you walk in God's ways, for your God is bringing you into a good land. God's got a good plan for your life. A land of fountains and pomegranates. All things to mention, fountains, like, like En Gedi, that fountain that comes up in the middle of the desert. You can't believe there's water, let alone refreshment in the middle of the desert. And pomegranates, the things you look at and they look so good on the outside and they're juicy on the inside. A land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing. That's what I want for you. 
I invite the band to come out and do this last song. And maybe it's a song you've heard many times, but never thought of it this way. The song's called The Pretender. And there's no finger wagging here that any of us need to stop being a pretender as much as looking in the mirror and saying, all of us are pretenders. What does it look like to be worn out finally from all the pretending? Worn out from trying to keep up the image of who I am while trying to hide the, the things that I don't want people to know I struggle with. It's exhausting being a pretender. It's exhausting for your kids. It's exhausting for your spouse. It's exhausting for you. Because there's something in you that longs for more than that corpse flower that looks pretty on the outside but smells when you get close to it. In the next few moments, you just want to ask yourself, is it time for me to move beyond finding my identity in what's around me and rather find my identity from what's within? In fact, Jesus had his harshest words to say about the religious community in his time. He said, you're like whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones. You clean the outside of the cup, but the inside is filled with death. Jesus is inviting you to a different type of life with a different type of freedom. It reminds me when I was a youth pastor, we used to, around uh, October, we would have a chance to have caramel apples. So I'd always have like six or seven caramel apples, and the kids would line up and say, first one to take the biggest bite wins. Little did they know that one was a caramel onion. Oh, I don't know, but when life takes a bite out of me, I don't want to be a caramel onion. I want to be a caramel apple. So again, we do want to help you. So before you go, I want to show you one more quick clip. This is our women's group that starts this Thursday I alluded to. We invite you to be part of getting together with other people to figure out how to do this inner life. Let's watch. Hi, I'm Darcy Bean. And I'm Cindy Weininger. Our company, Stretch Strategic Leaders, has been around for a number of years, Cindy and I have been doing this work with leaders for about 20. We've worked with hundreds of organizations and our purpose is to help leaders stretch to the next level and most importantly, enjoy it. I know, we absolutely love what we do. So we're excited. We're gonna bring our personal strategic planning program to the Horizon women who are trying to balance life, a career, family, me time, which we enjoy me time. And we're excited about customizing it to really fit for Horizon women. I have been attending Horizon with my family for about 10 years, and I just enjoy every time we're here, the messages, the music, the time to connect. And we're excited to share this program with you. We have taken what we do with organizations and put it into a game plan of how do you do strategy for your life? And this is a great opportunity for us to get to do it in terms of on a spiritual level as well. We have four individual parts and we'll come together on Thursday night and Saturday morning. Now on Thursday night and Saturday morning, they're gonna be the same message and teaching every week. And so you can come to one or the other and we'd love for you to come to all four uh, over the course of the four weeks, but that is up to you and your lifestyle. But for us, this gives us an opportunity to help you look at what's going on in your life. And instead of being at work and focusing on the kids and everybody else, you'll get to turn inward for a little while and join with other women and join with us. And we're really excited about this. So our first goal is to connect. Our second goal is to eat. So I'm, I, we're going to have food. Uh, we've, we were going to have a dinner on Thursday nights and a nice breakfast on Saturdays. We're going to be in groups each time that you come. We hope that you change tables so you can meet some other people. Connection is a big piece of this program. We're all so busy, you know, taking some time to do that. We also want to inspire each other. Uh, we're going to use kind of our learning in the program as a way to do that. 
Uh, we really have, want to have fun. We want to laugh. We want to just relax and, and grow together. I mean, again, our purpose is to help people stretch so they enjoy it. And I really hope that you join us for this program. I know you'll enjoy it. Yes, we're so looking forward to it and meeting new faces and sharing friendships. All the information that you need is on the Horizon website, so check that out. We also will be around. I mean, I'm here certain Sundays. Feel free to ask me or any of the Horizon staff can give you some inf more information about the program. Look forward to seeing you there. Well, I've, known, I've known Cindy for about uh, 15, 20 years, and she's been lots of help for me personally as well as our organization. So again, we just invite you, women in your life, to uh, join us on Thursdays or on Sundays starting this week. So thanks for being here. We'll see you next week as we talk about the bramble tree. See you then. <laughs>